Hello, and welcome to The Premise. Welcome back, Chad. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to talk to Scott Myers today, who is a fantastic screenwriter. You will have heard of some of his movies. He's an educator and just a really cool guy. And I want to let everyone know the San Diego Writers Festival is happening this summer. It's going to be virtual again. And we've got two days of programming, July 17th and July 31st. And Scott is going to be appearing on a panel called Writing for the Screen with Gabriel Bologna, Lee Kaplan, Tony Griffin, and of course, Scott Myers. So thank you for- Bum, bum, bum. Right? Yes. So thanks for joining us today. We're going to jump into this conversation. And first, I'll tell you a little bit about Scott. Scott Myers has written over 30 movie and TV projects at nearly every major Hollywood studio and broadcast network. His screenwriting credits include Canine, Alaska, and Trojan War. From 2002 to 2010, Scott was an executive producer at Trailblazer Studios, overseeing the company's original content development for TV. Scott has taught in the UCLA Extension Writers Program, receiving its Outstanding Instructor Award in 2005 the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and in 2016, he joined the faculty at the DePaul University School of Cinematic Arts as an assistant professor. Since 2008, Scott has hosted GoIntoTheStory.com, the official screenwriting blog of The Blacklist. Writer's Digest named it the best of the best screenwriting website, and it gets 2 million unique visitors every year. His book, an Introduction to Character-Driven Screenwriting and Storytelling, The Protagonist's Journey, is being published by Palgrave Macmillan and will be released toward the end of 2021. So we can look forward to that. And Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. That, that person sounds pretty busy. So. I know that's a busy guy, right? How does he do yeah. it all? <laughs> I have lots of questions about all of that, actually. Uh, I think uh, sleep is overrated. That's one thing. But mm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're passionate about movies and storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, I just tend to kind of go at it, you know. They say you give up something, family, um, free time, sleep. One, something's going to be put on a back burner if you're going to be this busy teaching, writing, and all of the above. I want to tell our listener that I met Scott Myers. Well, technically, we've never met, not in person, but I found you on Twitter. and. One of the things I loved most about stalking you on social is how inspiring you are, which is, of course, why I wanted to invite you onto the podcast. But you love storytelling. I'm passionate about storytelling myself, and it comes through. In fact, you have a pinned tweet that I want to read to our listeners. This is going to give them just a little idea of really who you are, in my opinion. More than ever, we need good storytellers. Put a human face on the other shed light on a deeper truth and gender empathy, fan the flames of hope, motivate people to act, make us laugh, make us cry, make us thrilled, make us think, but mostly make us feel our shared humanity. That's pretty awesome. Well, I'm on board. Where do I sign? Yeah, right, right. Like I, you, I, Go I, ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I believe that. I mean, I honestly believe that. And... Uh, mm -hmm. This day and age where we've got so much uh, 
xenophobia and just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, harsh rhetoric and divisive politics. Right. That one of the few ways I think that we, we can reach people who may otherwise be unreachable is through storytelling, is through yeah. them connecting with the characters in the story mm -hmm. where they can see the faces of people who they would not otherwise intersect with. And then realize they're human beings, just like us. They share the same concerns and considerations as we all do. And so stories are unique in that respect. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think people are looking for stories and story to storytelling to sort of ground us in a way, because there is a lot of people yelling at each other and not listening to each other. And yet when we hear each other's stories, you know, it brings us together and makes us human again, right? Oh, absolutely. I think it can. It has the potential. Mm -hmm. uh, movies, I think in particular, are unique in that respect. I mean, TV series are terrific, obviously, but that requires quite a bit of a commitment um, time-wise. But films, two hours in mm -hmm. and out. And you see a character start off here, typically the protagonist in, a, in their own you know, psychological state at the beginning. And by the end, they can be completely transformed. And so mm -hmm. the idea that the very idea that we can change is, right, right. is reinforced in movies and TV series over and over again. And mm -hmm. so that's fundamental to, I think, the power of story. Well, it makes us realize we're not alone, right? I'm not the only one experiencing this. And that person's not so much different from me than I thought. Yeah, there's this phrase that you'll see sometimes kicked around in uh, the screenwriting universe, uh, audience identification, hmm. which is where we as screenwriters attempt to create characters, in particular the protagonist, with whom the audience can identify, that there are relatable universal qualities to their life experience that shrink that distance between the screen and the viewer. Mm -hmm. And when the viewer can identify with the protagonist, they then can experience the story vicariously through that character. Mm. And so the way to do that is to get them to identify with the protagonist on some key psychological and emotional basis. And once you do, then they are basically sucked into that story and they go through the experience and have their own uh, unique learning experience vicariously through the protagonist and the other characters. And I always say that, you know, when you watch a movie or you read a book, you have a different experience. Each individual is going to experience it differently based on their personal life experiences, who they are as a person, their own biases. You know, we add to the story more than the writer of that story can even guess at, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that this is one of the reasons why it's imperative for storytellers and writers to dig down deep into the complexities of their characters, mm. even if they don't necessarily understand the depths of what's going on. Maybe it's a subconscious thing. But by, by reaching down and finding these various levels of complexity in the characters, that then opens up those points of connection to everybody. Mm. Because person A may relate to point A of a character, where person B may relate to point, point B of a character. Right, so the right. idea of like, uh, oftentimes you'll see in the screenwriting universe, this, this notion of, well, what's the protagonist's wound, mm. you know, or what's their flaw? And they can have wounds and flaws, but that's rather simplistic thinking. It's not just one thing. It's a whole layer of, 
you know, in, in psychology, they call it the psyche, the totality of their emotional and psychological nature. Mm. Um, and by doing that, by engaging those characters to depth and understanding their complexities, you open up those avenues for the audience to tie into them in various ways so that some person may see this movie in this way and another person may see it in an entirely different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and if you watch a movie, you know, 10 years later, you're going to have a different experience than that first viewing because you have in fact evolved yourself. Yes. Uh, again, that can speak to, if the story is told to depth, if the story is, it leans into the characters and embraces them and again their complexities then that avails itself to stories that can last mm -hmm. a lifetime and that can be experienced in different ways uh, from mm -hmm. decade to decade and they're universal you have a quote that i love begin with character end with character find the story in between well i <laughs> over the years i've been doing this now three plus decades um and teaching now, well, I guess for two decades, I tend to be on the, on the out, uh, lookout for mantras, you know, writing mm -hmm. mantras. Mm -hmm. That's what I came up with. And it really is, I think, reflective of what I'm about as yeah. a writer and a teacher, which is character-driven storytelling, that that's where the story should start, and that's where the story start, should end, and that because it's their story... In this weird way, we as writers participate in the screenplay universe that exists. The characters exist, and we engage them and immerse ourselves in their lives. And as a result, the plot emerges from that process. So hence that idea of start, you know, begin with character, end with character, find the story in between. Mm -hmm. So much of what goes on in the screenwriting universe as far as you know, the online universe tends to, to reduce story to plot and plot is absolutely part of it, but that's only half of it. That's the physical journey of the characters through space and time. That's action and dialogue. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other realm underneath. It makes me a logical journey. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of Jim Jarmusch. He's one of my favorite directors and he does a lot of his own screenwriting. And his, some of his movies don't actually have plot. It's just really all about the characters and whatever experience they're having at the time. Some people find that hard to watch and slow. I happen to love it. Yeah, I'm just thinking back on some of his movies, which I'm also a fan of. Um, uh, the movie with the three guys get, get, uh, oh, get down, down, by, down law. by law. Down by law. But yeah. see, they, they have a journey. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a hero's journey in its own way. A lot of times people will look at character-oriented or character-based stories, which a mm -hmm. lot of films tend to be, and say, well, there's not a lot of plot going on. But if you look at it in terms of character transformation, mm -hmm. character change, mm -hmm. that really is where the, that, that, that tableau takes place. Um, you know, there are stories where characters don't change. They refuse to change. There are stories where there are change agents, like Wally is a change agent or Forrest Gump is a change agent. But by and large, most movies, uh, the, it's the protagonist who does go through a change. And really, that's tied into the, the nature of the plot, that the events that happen and the characters with whom they intersect that is what feeds and fuels uh, their their transformation arc. So uh, again, character-driven storytelling to me is where it's at. Yeah. 
Yeah. When when did you know that you wanted to be a screenwriter? Is that how you started out in your career? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I, I could give you the long story, but I won't bore you with the details, other than the fact that I had gone to UVA undergraduate and Yale graduate school. I was going to get a PhD in a completely unrelated field of study, which ironically, I'm now using more um, as I move along, uh, theological studies. I was very interested in um, while well, storytelling, the New Testament, the primitive, what we call primitive Christianity, like how did we go from this Jesus uh, social warrior to the church? Mm. What happened there? You know, and you look at the Gospels yeah. and, and some yeah. of those things. But I played music to my parents' great chagrin. They got me a guitar when I was 14. <laughs> and uh, I discovered my own, well, I focused my creative uh, interests on songwriting. And so by the time I, my last year at, at Yale, I knew that I could not go straight to a PhD, so I took a year off, and that became the rest of my life. I played music for seven years. I did stand-up comedy for two years. Oh, wow. And Were you in the whiff and poofs? I'm sorry? Were you in the whiff and poofs? <laughs> no, funny you mention that. I was in the <laughs> Divin poofs. The Divin poofs, I was at Yale Divinity <laughs> School, and we had a, a, a four-piece a four quartet, uh, a cappella quartet. We called ourselves the Divin poofs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wait, yeah. what's the Wivenpoofs? Wivenpoofs is the is the great acapella singing group from Yale. The undergraduate, they travel oh. all around the world, and uh, okay. they're terrific. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, so you're you're a musician. But I discovered the screenwriting. I bumped into it like literally a club owner in Ventura, California, where parenthetically I met my wife. Mm. Um, was I love a, the word parenthetically, by the way. <laughs> I'm so glad you just used it in a sentence. <laughs> uh, Go yeah. on. Screenwriter, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the co-owner of the club was going to the USC Peter Stark Film Producing School. And the, that very day, you talk about a synchronicity per, per Carl Jung, that very day, the project he had that he was going to use for his master's script to schedule and break down budget and all that stuff had gotten optioned. And so he was talking to me. We talked many, many times and both knew we loved movies. And he jokingly said to me, well, maybe you could write a screenplay for me. <laughs> and I said, I can do that. Now, no. I'd never read a screenplay. I barely <laughs> knew what screenwriting was, but I've seen thousands of movies. Yeah. And so he gave me three scripts, Back to the Future, Witness, and Breaking Away, and Sid Field's book, Screenplay, Foundations of Screenwriting. Wow. And I went away and I wrote a script for him, and he used that for his uh, thesis. We wrote two more scripts. The third script was Canine, and that sold as a spec script to Universal and got made into a movie and two sequels. So I completely bumped into screenwriting. I had no wow. form of long training other than just a complete passion for movies and then spent my first five to 10 years scrambling around trying to figure out what I was doing. Well, <laughs> and obviously, you obviously had a creative drive as a musician and you know already studying storytelling in a, you know it's not surprising, I guess, that you were like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. Right I can look back on it and say, yeah, all roads lead to that. <laughs> but in the in the interim, you know, I was like completely uh, baffled by what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I just, Joseph Campbell, who I discovered in, uh, as an undergraduate, uh, read Hero with a Thousand Faces as part of the honors program of the Religious Studies Department at, at UVA. And that whole notion of the hero's journey, that the journey we take is the journey we're supposed to take, that if you come up upon a path, that's probably not your path. You have to create your own path. And hence his 
mantra, follow your bliss. Mm. Find that thing which you're passionate about, which enlivens you, which for which you have a talent, for which you feel you can contribute something to the world and do that. Mm. And if you do that, as Campbell says, the the universe will create doors where walls once existed. And that's what happened with me for nine years plus years. I wandered around pursuing creativity and it led me to screenwriting and that led me to the rest of my life. Wow. That's cool. So where's your guitar playing these days? Yeah. Good question. Um, I, now fortunately I've got two sons, adult sons. They both play music. One just got a doctorate at the university of Chicago in music composition. Hmm. Uh, he plays violin and viola primarily, but he does play guitar. And then my youngest, does play guitar and also plays piano. So we play a lot of music. You know, we have a lot of music around. I've got my Martin down here in in my office. I've got in my office at the university, I've got a little Taylor guitar that I play from time to time. Uh, So still play the, still play the guitar. Yeah. Are you the kind of person that when you, you know, you're deep in thought or maybe you just need a second to like step back and remove yourself from the process. Are you the kind of person who picks up your, your Taylor and just starts tinkering? Yeah, at the office. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a great way to, I don't know. It's just, I've been playing for so long now, you know, um, I just enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not anywhere where I used to be as a player, but because I don't play, you know, seven nights a week like I used to. But uh, yeah, I think anything you can do to sort of break away from the, uh, the, you know, hitting your head against the wall kind of experience, I think can be helpful creatively. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely that's really great advice if you're heading your head against a wall which we all do as writers find that thing that allows you to sort of let go and seep into something different yeah. music what a great way to do that. it's cross training <laughs> cross training yeah. i like that yeah. for me it used to be running or just going for a walk for chad it's also picking up an instrument i can always tell when chad's thinking because i can hear the, the what's your instrument room. chad um well Primarily four stringed ones, so I started with bass, and then well, kind of, you know, bass guitar, you could do that, you know, yeah, get on the old bass and start whacking away at it. <laughs> he just got an <laughs> little, amp, little slapping and popping in the background. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, creativity is such a, I don't know, a beautiful way to live your life, and I think we all have some creative something in us, regardless of whether or not we acknowledge it. And the more you embrace that, I think the happier people are. In general, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know how tragic. I mean, literally, the motivation to leave Yale and uh, avoid going in for a PhD program was not only this positive. I mean, I, I had a physical sensation in my gut that I should not be. I shouldn't in do this. Hmm. I should be doing something else. But I had a negative motivator too. Hmm. Which is what I had an image of myself as an academic with this beautiful study with the Florida wall bookcases filled with these <laughs> leather bound tomes and this wonderful L shaped desk with the banker's lamp and all these books in Greek and Latin and, you know, just just everything that an academic could want. And I'm sitting back in my chair, kind of staring off into the distance. And in the shadowy corner of my office is my guitar case collecting dust. Mm. And I just, that, that just slayed me because the, obviously the guitar case represented creativity. Yeah. And I just knew that if I didn't pursue that, I would not live a fulfilled life. And, you know, I don't have a lot of things to pat myself on the back for, 
but that one I do. You know, I turned away from the path of the should, which is what Joseph Campbell talks, the parent path, which was academics, mm-hmm. even though I really enjoyed that work. But there was something more powerful for me, which was the creative thing. And so I chose to pursue that. If you think about it, you know, I don't know whether you believe anybody believes in reincarnation or not, but I choose to believe we have one shot. And what a tragedy to turn away from something that does bring you joy that you could pursue, even as an avocation. You Mm -hmm. don't need to do it and chuck everything and give up your paycheck. Sure. You know, you can do it as an advocate, but at least do that. So you don't think we should sell our house and go live in a tent somewhere down in Baja? Is that what you're telling me? We don't well, know. Well, you know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <We> consider it. <laughs> so I mean, it's everybody's got their own path. That's, that's so right. specific. I know. It really is. I'm not thinking of it. Not at all. Why would you say that? I love the fact that you've come back to academics. Tell our listeners about your website, gointothestory.com, and how this came to be. So again, like so many of the things in my life, the door opened. It's, Let me guess. it's just well, or <laughs> you know, I, um, there there were some. I was following what was going on online, uh, screenwriting, you know, and seeing these blogs and various things pop up. And I had an idea for one that was a, that was a bit different. Um, that would really focus on not just the craft, not just my opinions, but on news, like what's going on vis-a-vis screenwriting, hmm. script deals and trends and whatnot. And so people could come and visit the site and I would update it every day. That was my commitment from the beginning, wow. not every week or whatever, but just every day, you know, you could come here and get some, Something some new, insights, yeah. some inspiration and also some uh, community. Mm-hmm. So I started it, launched it in May of 2008. And uh, up until shoulder surgery last summer, I posted in it every day for 4,300 and some odd consecutive days. It just became a thing. And people, you know, people love it. Lots and lots of people yeah. have benefited from it. I just this week, there is a uh, a tweet storm from a TV writer, Selwyn Hines, who tweeted yesterday when I, I, I did his tweet storm, I put it on my blog. He said, when I first started out, when I was first breaking into the business, I'm paraphrasing, but you can find it on Twitter. He said, go into the story was a huge influence for me in terms of inspiration and information. And so I feel like this is full circle. The fact that Scott's featuring this on his blog now, you know, brings mm-hmm. me a degree of satisfaction. And I'm happy now to be able to share with people now that I'm in the business. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, those stories are really inspirational to me. And I keep blogging and I still do it to this day. Well, and so our listeners know, I mean, there's blogs on craft, there's prompts, you you know, you also have a screenwriting masterclass that people can find on the website. And one thing I thought was really interesting was your link to download scripts. You know, for me, I think of screenwriting as something that's really like so foreign and kind of scary. I'm a writer and I'm like, whoa, screen screenwriting, like no way. And I look at a script and I'm like, wow. But I downloaded a couple of them from your website. And I started, once you start reading, you kind of forget. And they're written in such a way, and just the formatting of it is really fascinating to me. Talk about how important you think it is for people to just read a couple of scripts if they want to go into screenwriting. Well, <laughs> Jennifer, you really hit something that I'm a 
profoundly uh, energetic, uh, you know, acolyte for, which is reading scripts. I, I, I years ago I came up with another mantra, you know, basically saying that if you want to become a screenwriter, do these three things: watch movies, read scripts, write pages. Hmm. Watch nice. movies, read scripts, write pages. <laughs> yeah. So simple. But reading yeah. scripts. Everybody will watch movies, right? That's no sure. problem. Writing That's pages, easy. Sure, you can motivate yourself to write. <laughs> but reading scripts yeah. seems to be the 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 sticking point for a lot of people. Hmm. So I started hosting these these script links. Now there's all sorts of sites where you can download stuff illegally. Technically speaking, the studios and financiers and production companies own these copyrights. So you can't technically be posting them. What I do on my site is I just post links that are that are provided by the studios and the financiers every um you know the award season. So yeah. they're legal. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. I, I I host on my blog every year from like January through May. Every other week we do a script read and analysis series. So wow. we look at the scripts from the previous award season. Uh, uh-huh. Like this year we looked at Nomadland and Promising Young Woman um, and a Sound of Metal and One Night in Miami. You know, And we spend an entire week reading the script, breaking it down. And studying it per plot, character, theme, dialogue. So you really have an intense understanding and level of, of appreciation for what's going on in the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm a huge, huge proponent of reading scripts. You mentioned format, format and style. People have these questions like, can you do this? Or isn't there a rule about that? The more people will read scripts, the less important those questions become because you see the professional writers are breaking these supposed rules over and over again. Mm-hmm. And if you do them well, even as an outsider, even as a novice screenwriter, if they if they contribute to the entertainment value of the story and our understanding of the characters and each moment uh, going forward, then that just makes for a much better script reading experience. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge proponent to reading scripts. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's interesting. And I think you say this on your website too. You know, you learn the rules and then you can break them. Yeah, I'm even to the point where, you know, I get so sick of this. These arguments come up all the time. Just literally, I, I tweet these things, right? I tweeted this thing. When you introduce a character, focus less on their physicality and more on their personality. Hmm. They're the kind of person who dot, 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 basically hmm. answering that question. And, you know, if you look at my Twitter feed, there's all sorts of people saying, well, no, you can't do that. You can only describe them physically. Now, the reality is that a screenwriting universe, and same thing with TV, is largely an externalized reality. It's action and dialogue. It's not like a novel where you can enter into the consciousness of a character and go on for 20 pages, remembering when they were a child in Montana back in the 1800s or whatever. Now, you can't do that. But you can judiciously comment on on action on on the moment you can even dip into the inner consciousness of characters so these so-called rules somewhere i i have a theory that it's some dude in the basement of nebraska house <laughs> who created these things and somehow they took root but if you read scripts by professional screenwriters and you realize no they're not really rules at all mm. the best way to think about this stuff is tools not rules Got it. you know tools that help facilitate the writing experience not rules which restrict creativity. 
Now I have a question. So, you know, a screenwriter, a screenplay, it doesn't have as much like we, like what you can put into a novel. So a lot of interpretation is up to the director and I, I would presume the actor. How closely does a screenwriter work with a director? Is it nerve wracking to let go of your baby and hope that they have the same vision that you do? Well, that depends upon the director. Now, you know, TV is different. TV is largely a writer driven medium because the director may shift from episode to episode and it's the, it's the showrunner and the writing staff that's there, you know, eight, 10, 12, you know, 26 episodes. It used to be. So, so that's different. The writer really does have much more say so over what goes on um, on the TV side of things. And the feature side of things, who goes off to make it? It's the director. It's to their discretion whether they include the writer or not. Uh, the Writers Guild's been fighting this for years. You know, ostensibly we're supposed to be present on the set, but sometimes the director feels that that's an encumbrance to have like the writer getting in their way and whatnot. Hmm. Um, I think that at the end of the day, writers have to, screenwriters come to some sort of accommodation here, which is that they write the story as best as they can. They try their best to create characters who are vibrant enough and alive enough and well-defined enough that the actors can then run with them in a way that reflects the writer's intentions with the characters. Same thing with scene description and transitions from scenes where the writer is writing scenes in a way that hopefully the director will uh, you know, take those scenes and, and, and use them in a visual way that ex expresses what the writer's about. But ultimately, it, you know, it's a pre-movie. A screenplay is a pre-movie. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of play there. You know, there are experiences like Little Miss Sunshine where Michael Art, I think if you talk to him, would say that the directors really nailed what he was going for, you know? And then there are other times I've had experiences myself where the director just was not on board at all with what the vision was. And, uh, you know, it didn't turn out that well. Hmm. So, you know, it's a crapshoot in that regard. Sure. Do you have like a, a favorite project that you've worked on in terms of your movies that have been turned into actual movies? Well, it, that's hard to say. I mean, I have a lot of projects a lot that, of favorites. Did, that did not get made. <laughs> How do you choose a baby? Oh, then, then there you go. What What is your favorite <laughs> screenplay? I mean, can you? Well, that I wrote, I wrote a screenplay called Snowbirds that came very close to getting made. Um, uh, you know, now with Nomadland, because it was set in the world of RVs, I'm not sure that it would would have much in the way of uh, uniqueness. But it was set in the world of RVs. Uh, the basic premise was every Every winter, three couples who are all seniors, like in their you know sixties and whatnot, from different parts of the country, would travel to this remote New Mexico environment. Uh, it was uh, called boondocking. They don't. It's not like you know a camp. It's like you're in the wilderness. And so these three RVs, each of them completely different people, but they've created a friendship over the years, and they just get together for a week and they sit around and you know they they share pictures with each other and catch up. And then the guys have this thing called the ge the geezer games where they play, you know, uh, racket, not racket, but they play uh, Frisbee golf and some other things. Nice. <laughs> Olympics, right. But this year is different because the first night there, a, a SUV shows up and it's three college students. It's a graduate student and two college students and this little dog. 
And as it turns out, the youngest of them, uh, Abby, uh, is has terminal cancer. And this is her last time to go with her friends before she's going to essentially go into significant treatment. And, uh, you know, so you got this irony that you got all these old people who are hardy and hale and you got these young people, the youngest of whom is, is dying. Mm. And this community forms over the course of three, four days in this beautiful Northern New Mexico environment. And uh, I guess I say it came very, very close to getting made. We had a, at one point, an Academy Award-winning actress uh, attached to it, and then the financing fell out. But yeah, Snowbirds, that, I, I would... That's yeah. got to be so heartbreaking to be that close and have it fall through. Yeah, but then on the other hand, yes, absolutely. It's a bummer. I mean, would I love to see it as a movie? Yes. On the other hand, I lived with those characters so intimately, um, and I told that story in my mind so completely that... I can look back on my memories of that experience and feel quite fulfilled in that mm-hmm. regard. I mean, That's I just, nice. I know those characters and I lived with them. And that story has got a, I think, a beautiful ending to it. And it's a beautiful journey. Um, funny, but, you know, touching. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I feel fulfilled in that respect because I think it really did need become what it needed to be. How long did it take you to write it? Probably about six months all in, including, I do a lot of character development work, like months, just spending time with the characters. I created this prep workshop with, you mentioned screenwritingmasterclass.com, my uh, online educational resource. That was the first thing I did was I created this six-week how to break story. We call it breaking story in Hollywood. You break story. And it's been very successful. I've taught it to over a thousand, worked with over a thousand writers on that. In fact, I use that as the basis of an undergraduate and graduate class here at DePaul called uh, story development. And so I believe you spend an enormous amount of time with your characters. You immerse yourself in their lives You get to know them. You're not even thinking about plot. You're just exploring who they are, where they are, and you're engaging them in a series of exercises. Some of them are pretty typical, like questionnaires or biographies, but some of them are a little more free-spirited, like free scenes where you just put characters together into a scene and you just write and see what happens. Or you do uh, an interview, like I'm a psychiatrist and they're my patient. And so now I'm, now I'm moving into d- direct relationship with them where it's an IU thing and they are responding to my questions. Or you even do kind of a meditative type thing where you close the door, turn off the phone, get in front of your keyboard or pad of paper and you do some deep breathing and you mm-hmm. get the character in your head. It's like a Vulcan mind meld, right? On Star Trek, it's, you're in their head, they're in your head. And you just blind type for 10 or 15 minutes. You just put your fingers on the, t- the keyboard or your pen and paper, and you just go for 10 or 15, 20 minutes. Timer goes off. You know, it's like meditation. Your mind will dr- drift. You just keep coming back. And you do it, you know, like a, you can do it as a, 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 as a stream of consciousness. You can do it as a monologue. So it's all dialogue. Ding, the timer goes off. You look at what you've got. Well, 80% of it may just be like, I have no idea what any of this means. <laughs> but 20% of it is like, wait a minute. Where Something did that, there. What is this scene? Would this moment? Mm. 
where did that image, what is it, right? That's gold. That's the character speaking to you. Whether you believe it's the character or your subconscious, it's, it's irrelevant. The story is speaking to you and you're finding this raw content that you can then build on to dig deeper into each character. And as I say, eventually the plot starts to emerge, particularly if you're following your protagonist. That's, hmm. you know, my book's called The Protagonist Journey. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, I was going to say, and it sounds to me like a direct result of your screenwriting masterclass is, in fact, your book, Protagonist's Journey. Is yeah, that that's, 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 <laughs> I had no intention of writing this thing. Um, <laughs> but the Palgrave Macmillan, which is this very prestigious, a publishing company out of London. They're you know, like the number two academic publishing company in the world. They've been around since like the mid 1800s. They said, I talked to them about several projects. They said, well, what about doing this character driven thing that you're so obsessed about as like a, <laughs> a book for film students. And yeah. so I, I did some research. I went and looked at films, you know, everything from very famous film schools, what faculty I would go from course to course and look what they were recommending for books that they would use to you know colleges that may have an English department where they got one screenwriting class because some students want to take screenwriting and a faculty member who may have no background in screenwriting what are they using as their books and i was frankly rather disappointed and what i saw a lot of them tended to be more of that looking at structure as plot story as plot so i wrote this thing which is an essentially a you know it's a book for film students, undergraduate and graduate, and then for the general population. But it's really the summation of like 30 plus years of doing this and working with people in screenwriting masterclass the last 12 years, this, this prep process, it works. It really does work. I've had people, very, very left brain people, you know, accountants, you know, architects, you know, people who are very focused on like logic and linearity and all that who were like, oh my gosh, you're wanting me to like sit down and interview a character? Are you wanting That's me to awesome. do awesome. Yeah. That's like, so cool. But then I, you know, literally, there's a story I tell, there's an anecdote, you might find it kind of interesting. There was a um, a young woman who worked with me many years ago. She was from Canada and her parents, you know, she did the should path, right? The parent path. She was getting an, a, a master's in accounting, but it was so stifling to her she wanted to be a writer and so we were working on the story and she was having a really challenging time connecting with this one character this young man 20 years old he had some very bad things happen to him so he's very buttoned up and i said well you know he's about your age isn't he you're, you're like 22 he's like 21 and she said yeah i said do you think he'd be interested in you and she went, what are you saying? I said, well, like, you, what if you got together in Tiny Nailers, I think is like their, their donut <laughs> shop in Canada. Right. I said, what if you all got together in Tiny Nailers and, he, you know, you had a meet cute. He like bumped into you and spilled coffee and was apologetic. And now you're sitting at a table talking. What do you, what do you, I said, well, why don't you go on a date with him? And she was like, what, what do you, what, I, what, seriously? I said, well, just, you know, it's just a fun little experiment. And she was very uptight about it at first. Huh. And I said, well, look, you just do it, try it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, nobody's going to know, mm -hmm. you know, you just yeah. tell me, yes, God, it just didn't work. <sighs> okay. I'll try it. <laughs> Later that week, I get an email. We've been on three dates. <laughs> <laughs> He's opening up to me. Like, you can't believe it. That's great. 
you know. So it, it, it can work if you just, you've heard that, you know, seeing is believing, reverse it. Believing is seeing. If you mm. believe they exist, you start to see them. You start to hear them. Yeah. The characters exist in this weird way. And the more we lean into that, the better. I mean, this is true for writing of any kind. If you're writing a novel, you know, fiction, short stories, if you ever get stuck, you know, one of the things I'll just start free writing myself about that person or just take and put them in a totally different scene and place and start writing. It's really kind of the same thing. So that's awesome. This applies to all writers, not just screenwriters. I would think so. I mean, yeah. free writing is a great exercise. I mean, I, I, there have been period of, periods of my life where I've started off every day doing that, you know, just write. Uh, I certainly, uh, for before you sit down like screenwriters, I encourage them to uh, to start what I call a script diary. So before they actually go to their open their software, they're like, okay, so say I was going to start writing right now. Um, it'd be, you know, I'd write it twenty one zero six one six, you know, five thirty seven p.m. You know, my time. I'm sitting down to write this this scene and then just, you know, you sort of get your fingers going in your mind. You're, you're transitioning from the busy world of groceries and taxes. Now you're transitioning <laughs> into the world of your story. Right. You use the script diary as that transition device. And then you go into the, go into the story. Well, that'd be a good name for a blog. You go into the story and, uh, and then you're there with the characters and you come back out to the script diary and you can go, well, that, that sucked. That didn't work very well. And so you get in touch with your inner teenage angst and sort of pound out, well, the character's not talking to me. Somehow that loosens things up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love it. I think what I'm hearing from you is like this beautiful willingness to just make mistakes and be messy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the screenwriting, this is one thing about screenwriting that uh, cured me of this because I'm a perfectionist. But now that I've written so many projects, uh, I'm no longer precious about any of this stuff. <laughs> that first draft, I tell my students, that's a journey of discovery. You know, I, I don't care whether you think what you're writing is total crap. You got to get from fade in to fade out. You will understand so much more about your story and your characters by getting to fade out uh, than if you stop midway. Don't rewrite the same thing over and over. Don't get caught up in rewriting. Constantly move forward. And be willing to accept the fact that that's not going to be perfect. You know what? Even if you write a first draft and you're putting due diligence in it and rewriting it and whatnot, it's still not going to be perfect. And so that can be distressing to some people. But I always say, just tilt your head to the side. <laughs> and if you think about that in a different way, yeah. wait a minute, you're telling me I don't have to be perfect? Oh, hard. Yeah. I could have some fun. I could actually cut loose. I could try writing in this narrative voice, or I could try attacking the scene from a crazy different way. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's the modern mantra for the internet is done is better than perfect. <laughs> right. Well, and well, again, screenwriting, because you know, even if you write, okay, like most I'm writing, I'm working with a writer right now as a producer on a project, 24 drafts into the script at this point. Um, and it's, it's great. She's getting uh, you know, there's some uh, buzz going around on it. Um, and yet we, we've already identified stuff that to be done for the 25th draft. Um, you know, you, it, and so, though, so let's say that gets set up. Now you bring a director in or talent in, it's going to be rewritten again, or now there's going to be budgetary concerns or location issues. You have to rewrite it again. 
So that's the one thing about screenwriting is writing is rewriting. You've heard that. It's really no more true than, than screenplays and screenwriting. I want to know if there's a recent screenplay that just blew you away that you read. Um, now, this is going to sound really crazy, but uh, there's a movie out called Spontaneous by Brian Duffield. It's got the craziest, uh, craziest idea for a movie. It's about teenagers in a high school where suddenly some of their peers start blowing up like spontaneous combustion. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah it's, I've heard of it. It's in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. It's Brian Duffield is such a talented writer and I've known him now for many years. His writing is so unique. He's got such a great, what I call narrative voice where not just the dialogue and all that, but the way he handles scene description or stage direction, whatever you want to call it, uh, is just so so good. And that that movie is just, it's so surprising. I mean, you would not expect it to be what it is, but it's just, it's just terrific. It really nice. is. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. What is your biggest piece of advice for aspiring screenwriter? Yeah. And it's funny because I, I always, when I interview writers, I always ask that. <laughs> and, and now I, you're being the asked. Tables have turned. I'm being asked <laughs> with no warning whatsoever. Um. Well, I guess you know. Determine if this is your passion, and if it's your passion, then you just got to go all in. Mm. You know, it's extremely competitive, yeah. and you have to go in with the mindset that you're not going to succeed financially. And that even if you do break into the business, it's really hard to stay in the business. It's it's it it requires a steel spine and an iron gut. It really does to to make it in this business. But if you're passionate about it, then you just owe it to yourself to pursue it. Mm. And nowadays, it's I don't want to say easy, but I mean with the resources online, you can find scripts, you can find movies, you mm. can find communities of people who talk about this stuff. You can find blogs, you know, you can, everything you need, essentially, aside from like going to film school, is right there. So, you know, if you're passionate about it, go for it, but really go for it. Like, uh, you know, if you've got a job, then you, it's amazing how much work you can get done in 30 minutes on your mm -hmm. lunch. Mm -hmm. and I discovered this when I was a, a a dad with my first child when he was one year old. and. I was doing a lot of house you know, fathering and when he'd take a nap, I was on the computer like that, you know, and, and it's just interesting how much you can get done. So I guess I would say if you're passionate about it, do it, you know, yeah. don't, don't stand back, go, go for it. Joyce Carol Oates once said, you know, you can't wait till you feel like writing. You just have to write. Yes. I'm a firm, firm advocate for that. Like this book I wrote is it's a hundred thousand words, so it's the longest thing I've ever written. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a completely different type of writing. It's not like, oh, sure. okay, here's a scene with two characters, and I'm just going to let myself go. No, this is like we're going to be analyzing um, this part of the, the protagonist's journey in terms of their psychological deconstruction, and here are these examples from TV and movies and how they 
are different uh, variations on theme and these footnotes and key terms and all this stuff. You know, it's a, again, I, I had no intention of writing this book at all until uh, I realized that I thought there's a, there's a void there for character-driven storytelling. But the only way I got through that was by like literally every day, no matter how hard I thought it was because it was hard writing, I just wrote. And this included, by the way, two months where I was in a sling because of mm. shoulder surgery and I was typing with my fi- in my left hand one finger, <laughs> you know, to, to make progress. Now that's commitment. So I think that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, now there are some writers who don't like to write every day. That's fine. You know, every writer is different. Every story is different. But you get in the habit of doing it, then it becomes a habit and, and not writing becomes a weird feeling. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would you do it again? Do you think you have another book in you? Well, I have a novel in me, I think. That's my next thing. I'm, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Go so on. Yeah. <laughs> tell us all about it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you the premise. It's too hot. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, I thought it's, I'd try. It's in an it's in an area that, uh, frankly, I'm not, you know, as familiar with as other areas like genre spaces, and so I've been doing a lot of reading in that arena, uh, novels, uh, and I'm now just now doing the character work, just like I was. So I'll probably be doing that for at least six months or more because it's a it's a pretty prodigious thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I was talking with my wife about it last night. We went for a nice long walk by Lake Michigan and. Uh, uh, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Palgrave Macmillan said, hey, well, could you do the protagonist's journey, intermediate studies and character-driven screenwriting and storytelling? And there are things I could talk about because this is just an introduction and really focuses on the one arc that we see in almost all movies, which is the unity arc, where a character starts off in a state of disunity, my language system, disunity, and they go through a process and they end up moving toward a state of unity. We see that over and over again in movies, right. but there are yeah. different different types of stories. There's nonlinear stories. There's multi multi protagonist stories. There's multilinear. So anyhow, but I, I don't know. I, I I need some definitely need some time off from that type of writing. So, well, I think it's good. You know, I write both fiction and nonfiction, and while I get excited about nonfiction because I love educating, I do need a break from it. And going into that creative world is, you know, it builds you up, you know, and as opposed to feeling like exhausted when it's over, you feel a little bit more, I don't know, alive and excited. I would agree with that. I mean, I frankly am exhausted <laughs> from <laughs> all the work that I do at DePaul, all the work I do blogging, uh, screenwriting masterclass, and then writing this book and uh, recuperating from shoulder surgery. And yeah. it was a 20 month process writing that book. Right. So I am. I'm recuperating now. I'm out walking every day and getting some more sleep. But yeah, I think I agree with you. You know, I'm, I, it's exciting for me to read these, uh, uh, read these, uh, uh, you know, work with the characters that I'm doing now hmm. and look cool. at what I'm coming up with because cool. that's all just totally, you know, invigorating. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I wanted to ask you, what is the most common question you get from aspiring cre- screenwriters? Oh, it's the one that every screenwriter gets. And it's the how much one money that am eight... I going to make? No, no, that's even <laughs> that. How do I get an agent? Okay. How do I get an agent? And well, um, it's, it's sort of like that Steve Martin joke, you know, how to pay a million, have a million dollars and not pay taxes. First, get a million dollars. 
So, um, you know, yeah. we'll first, start with two million. First thing is, um, you got to write the great script. You got to write a great script. You yeah. cannot expect to get represented unless you write a great script. So that's where the focus should be. I have a whole mm-hmm. thing in my blog about how to do this. You don't go for agent. You go for managers. Managers are different than agents. Oh, interesting. What's the difference? Well, you know, they jokingly, I've heard that the agents wear suits and managers wear blue jeans. <laughs> I definitely want a manager. Thank you for clarifying. So, <laughs> so agents are more deal makers, you know, Got and it. managers, yeah. which tend to be uh, ex-agents, they tend to be more involved with creative aspect. Mm. Like they like spending time with writers and working on stories. Now that varies, you know, it's sure. like there are, there are people who would consider themselves to be majents, you know, sort of managers and agents. Um, but managers are much more inclined to look at unsolicited material where mm-hmm. agents are not. And so there are a lot of managers that have access portals on their websites, management companies, where you can send in a query email. Uh-huh. And so I tell people the path of least resistance is write three screenplays, all in the same genre, $20 million and under budget. You know, you don't want to write three different genres. You don't want to uh, write, uh, you know, a science fiction, a comedy, and a Norwegian opera. You know, you, you want to have some synergy so that the manager can say, oh, I can, I can promote this person as a comedy writer. Or I can promote this person as an action writer. Again, yeah. this is the path of least resistance. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. But then you can contact, you email these managers. And I even have a whole process about how to zero in on the ones that are are, right are, are to relevant to you yeah. as opposed to scatter shooting 500 emails. Right, Find right. some managers who are producers on movies that are similar to what you write and then say in the subject heading, three spec scripts, action genre, $20 million under budget. And then in the text, it's just, uh, I've written three scripts. Here's a log line for one of them. It's very much like your movie, such and such out. You're interested out. That's all you need. Hmm. And that I've known people have gotten repped that way, but again, wow. it all goes back to the material. You know? Of course, of course, yeah, very cool. All right, so as we have already told our listeners, I stalk you on Twitter and Instagram, and you posted a picture of yourself a little while back, and in it you have very long hair, and you <laughs> titled it "Pandemic Hair," not the name of a rock band. And I thought, yeah, that's a really good name for a rock band. Would have been before the pandemic. Pandemic care. I'm like, I like that. Yeah. But, but my question um, is, who who is your favorite rock band? Oh, well, um, <laughs> you know, I played music, as I said, for seven years, but I was more out of that Jackson Brown, Southern California folk rock thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but my favorite band of all time is a band called The Band. That was the band with Robbie Robertson. Um, mm-hmm. They were the backup band for Bob Dylan. Uh, you know, for when he was breaking out from folk music into rock and roll. Yeah. But if you go back and listen to them, they just, they did everything. They did just, you know, folk and jazz and country and uh, rock, you know, mm-hmm. blues. So that that's my favorite band. Uh, but nice. if people are into that kind of music, there's a great band that a musician I played with for several years and a good friend, Pat Flynn a band called Newgrass Revival, Newgrass Revival. They take bluegrass instrumentation and they would do everything. They'd play everything from the Beatles to Bob Marley to, you know, a Bela Fleck. I don't know if you may have heard of him. Of uh, Bela Fleck. Okay. Yeah, he was in him. the band. Pat was the guitar player. Sam Bush 
was a mandolin and violin player, and then John Cowan, bass. He currently tours with the Doobie Brothers. Sam's got all these side projects. Bela does too. Pat's a recording artist in, in uh, Nashville. But th- they were like a favorite of the Grateful Dead. They were like uh, open for them many times. In fact, I saw them open for the Grateful Dead in 1989, New Year's Eve in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a band that people cool. should check. But they don't they don't play together anymore, but you can find them online. Nice. New Grass Revival. You know, it's yeah. funny. We were some friends of ours are house sitting in this really cool house here in San Diego and they have a pool and a hot tub. So we went over there for a, a little graduation celebration and we finally figured out the stereo system after quite a bit of work and they have all CDs and I was looking through their music and they have the band box set and, and they have every Robbie Robertson album ever put out. And I thought, wow, I haven't seen his albums in years. I totally forgot about him. These people were huge fans. Well, he's actually, I think, coming out with a new one, or I just saw something recently. His first solo album was quite good. Was that in like 91? Now, when was that? His first, was it 91? Solo album would have been right around then. Yeah, uh, I think it was 91. 1989 or 1990, something like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. That's awesome. Well, I'll have to look for that too. So we'll be looking for Pandemic Hair, a new rock band. Thank you for that inspiration. Yeah, I thought for sure it was going to be prog rock with that name. Mm. Oh, that is that is true. Pandemic Hair should be prog rock. <laughs> prog rock, yeah. Good yeah. point. You guys can start a band together. It's going to be called Pandemic Hair. I'll write a screenplay about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, bass player. There you go. Martin, <laughs> Martin Scorsese can do the... Uh, exactly. Do the filming. Oh, that sounds perfect. That sounds perfect. I want you to know, I, when I moved to San Diego in 1989, one of the first things I did was go to the theater and see this <laughs> fantastic movie starring James Belushi called K-9. And then I saw it three more times in that same theater. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thank you. It was actually shot in San Diego. It was. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I went and bought it just recently. I was like, I got to see it again. We're going to be talking to Scott Myers. So I watched it and I was so surprised to see how movies are filmed. I didn't realize, because when I first saw it, I just moved to San Diego and it was so novel. You know, this, this new great movie filmed in my new city. But now that I've lived here for 30 plus years, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That is, that's in Mission Valley, gets out of the car. And now all of a sudden he's at the Hotel Dell in Coronado. I was like, oh, right. that's how movie making works. Yeah, that's it's all lies. It's not real. For people who live in Chicago, mm. John Hughes movies would drive them crazy. Oh, that way. yeah. Like, what? how did they get there? They're how did the that happen? Now they're in Elmhurst, and wait a minute, now they're in Winnetka, you know. <laughs> totally. I had no idea. I like how Vancouver is just a stand-in for any damn city. Right. Yeah. It just seems Vancouver. to be, that's where they film, and it, it looks a little bit like this city. It looks a little bit like that city, so. Vancouver, yeah. B.C. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not Washington. Not Washington? No. They don't film everything in Vancouver, Washington? <laughs> no. 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 no they film Scott's like Vancouver. never. That's where Alaska was headquartered out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been super fun. I've learned a lot about screenplay writing, about screenwriting. I am a little less afraid of it, but I'm still kind of afraid of it. So I'm going to read a full script and then we'll see how i feel but thank you thank you so much for for joining us um it's this has been really cool yeah well, it's been a lot of as i say i love talking story and 
Mm-hmm. And I guess mm-hmm. I love talking. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I think any good screenwriter needs to like talking, right? You need to like to be heard. Yeah. Well, well, certainly about things we care about, yeah. That's right. And storytelling is certainly something we can agree on that's important and such a passion. Dear listener, you can learn more about Scott Myers at going go into the story.com. That's go into the story.com. An incredible resource for screenwriters. And by the way, Scott accepts questions from his readers. So if you have a burning question for Scott related to screenwriting, of course, reach out to him through his website and he'll answer it. And again, that's go into the story.com. Follow Scott Myers on Instagram and Twitter at go into the story. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening. And Scott, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye.